I mean, it's the algorithm. <laughs> the algorithms, what's yeah. putting things in front of you, what's recommending what show you should watch next, it's recommending what political candidate, it's recommending everything. That was Alexis from our Insights team. I'm Nisha Ashra, your host for Provocation with Purpose, the podcast where we talk about emerging technologies, culture and changing trends and how these impact our everyday lives. So today we're talking about tech guardians. Tech is increasingly seeking to protect us from harm. Innovations such as Tesla's autopilot have driven people home safely and parental controls from Amazon have protected kids from accidentally buying things. Let's notice those, how they are changing our behaviors. Hi Alexis, thanks for joining us. Hi. So how do you think our behaviors have changed because of tech specifically? I mean, I feel like they've changed everything. Um, You know, they've changed dating, they've changed how we do business, they've changed how we manage our finances. Um, It it really is the sort of undercurrent of our lives. Um, And I mean, I think in a a year like this where, you know, people are, you know, working from home, um, you know, doing school from home, all of that, and that's becoming, you know, much more widespread. It's uh, you know, it's touching sort of every every layer of our lives, especially if we have to like, that's how we connect with people now because, you know, we aren't really allowed to, to go out and socialize as much. I mean, we're doing so much without even realizing that we've changed so much as well. Like, I, I just think of, you mentioned like, I don't know, online dating in school and like even, even working remotely, how quickly we transitioned, um, you know, from in-person meetings to doing video meetings and now it's like second nature to us I feel like we're doing these things without even realizing how does that work like what happens in this world where you know there's somebody else deciding how our behaviors are changing and we're almost like not even thinking about it it's like second nature to us yeah I mean I think that's an interesting and hard question to think about um yeah we're just so relying on things and I think humans are sort of inherently looking for things that help make our lives easier um, and help us be a little bit lazy and help take off some of the the mental load we have. So I think it's it's kind of easy for us to to rely on technology. You know, we're reliant on tools. Um, and that's, you know, starting back when we were cavemen, like the impor- most important thing to us is tools. And tech is, you know, probably one of the, the most important tools of all that we've... Uh, that we've been able to come up with. And I think the reliance on it just kind of becomes second nature, you know, even though tech has only sort of been, you know, a very short time in our sort of human history, which I think is why our brains are maybe not totally up to the task of these new things. And we get addicted to the, you know, serotonin and dopamine that we sort of get from, you know, experiencing tech. So I think it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see how we sort of you know, evolve alongside it. Because, you know, if you look at something like, you know, the wheel that's been with us, you know, for thousands and thousands of years. What's been your one tech innovation, something that has changed how you do something, how your behavior has changed? I mean, I think it probably has to be the sort of smartphone and having, you know, the sort of instant access to sort of everything. Um, 
I feel like I'm interesting because I grew up in an age where the majority of my sort of teen through adult life, I did have technology. Like even growing up, you know, we did have a computer at home. It was like a family computer that like you'd sort of, you know, have to do the dial up to like sign on to it. But by the time I was in high school, I did have a cell phone. Um, and then, you know, I was the first generation on Facebook because I was like started right as I went to college. Um, and then right as I graduated was when like the iPhone came out. So I feel like my adult life, I've pretty much always had a smartphone, always had, you know, the map in your pocket. You've always had, you know, the connection to your friends and family, the connection to the internet. Before I ask you that question, I was going to say for me, I, I've, I've really got on board with like Siri and voice tech, but just mm. hearing that you're so right like even bigger than even bigger than that is definitely um smartphone but we're relying on other people to decide what we're seeing yeah. and so much of that is is almost taken out of our control whereas like you know like i said 10 12 years ago it was it was up to us so whose role is it to control what we see yeah, I mean, it's the algorithm. <laughs> the algorithm's what's yeah. putting things in front of you, what's recommending what show you should watch next. It's recommending what political candidate. It's recommending everything. Um, I mean, I think that's the real controlling factor. And I think where this trend comes in is really understanding that there used to be a difference between a sort of like online world and an offline world. And I think you know, over the last couple of years, probably starting when everyone, you know, like mass adoption you had of like smartphones, like there is no distinction. Like what happens on social media or on the internet or whatever, like that is real world. It's affecting yeah. things in real life. And I think the, the sort of thrust behind this trend was saying, okay, this is it. It's dominating so many aspects of our lives. And it's really sort of starting to put in place things that are, you know, maybe protecting us from harm or um, uh, changing these different behaviors and mannerisms that we have, you know, and it really leads to this, this question around morality. Typically, morality would come from higher powers like a church or a state, but a lot of our trust in those institutions has, has really been waning over the, you know, the past couple of decades. Um, and we sort of turn to another source with all the answers. It's the sort of invisible, omnipresent source, technology. With that being that sort of main source, again, there's a lot of these sort of moral questions as it's sort of highly personalized uh, content that's being fed to us. And it's, I think it's important to understand the sort of the ethics behind these companies and the algorithms and practices they have in place for their platform. Yeah, I actually recently watched um, Social Dilemma and one, for me, the, the main thing that I really took away from that was hearing about the ethics and the design and then the tech and it was really interesting. There was one person's job basically who's, who decided that the, the like button and it was really simple, the act of just like hitting like. Um, and then they also talked about the, sw the swipe um, to refresh something and how that has just become a real easy action and how that can fuel addiction as well because it's just yeah. a repetitive thing that you're doing. And it was, that, that was a real big takeaway for me because you kind of, you know, you know about all of these things that you're doing, you know that it's a really simple action, 
but it raises the the thought of that okay yeah that was one person's job and who is that person and then we talk about like you mentioned algorithms are the ones that are deciding it and it's almost like they've become so advanced and so complex that no one really knows even how they're working yeah definitely and i mean i think a, a lot of that you know especially social media really plays to some really sort of base level human psychology in terms of what it's sort of hacking and sort of hacking those things where you get, you know, the dopamine release when you do hit that refresh or you do get a notification that a friend tagged you in a photo. Um, And I think some of it, I watched the movie as well, you know, some of it really was put in place, not by accident, but it did have a sort of like good intention behind it. But, you know, they're in the attention economy. (laughs) You know, that's the thing they're sort of, they're buying and trading off of. And, And I think, that's when things get a little bit scary. And I think, you know, with the sort of warnings that a lot of those developers were sort of putting out in the the in the social dilemma, talking about how we are the product, um, you know, it's not a physical item, you know, we are the product, our time is the product, yeah. our, our behavior is the product. And I think when it comes to that, that's when people are get uncomfortable um themselves sort of being the product and i think that's where you sort of see a lot of the the pushback and again it's happened for you know a number of years but the real world impact that it can have you know whether it's like the arab spring you know many many years ago to what's happening you know in the u.s elections in the past couple of years i think it can be an optimistic place where it connects people and it, you know, brings together these movements. But then I think it can also be a pretty scary place. What are the opportunities here? Because, you know, you talked about how it is, a, it is a dark place and it's changing and it's and there's so many factors involved and so many people involved. Um, but there are opportunities. And where do where do brands play a role in this as well? Yeah, I mean, I think advertising is a sort of big big place with it. Um, Users sort of aren't the only sort of force that can sort of affect change. Um, Advertisers and brands, I mean, obviously, a lot of them are looking for sort of brand safe content. And, you know, over the past couple of years, we've seen the sort of increasing nature of sort of blacklisting certain keywords, um, so that they aren't associated with their brand, because you sort of have a bit more ability. Um, But as a result, you know, publishers are forced to focus on maybe more lifestyle content, less hard news. And I think, you know, a lot of the sort of automated filtering can have an issue and it's proven unreliable to differentiate like news from propaganda. So it's, it remains incredibly difficult, but you have sort of human moderation with the amount of like content out there, but um, crudely implemented blacklisting and censorship can really lack, you know, the contextual needs be able to differentiate good from bad content. And so I think, you know, many creators, especially those in like the, you know, LGBT community and sort of digital artists are sort of being ensnared by these tools sort of in this name of sort of brand safety. So I think, as an industry, it's important for us to be able to be able to sort of support these communities and take a critical look at, you know, why are these, you know, words and um, phrases sort of being blacklisted and, you know, the platforms need to be transparent and sort of, you know, why they sort of decide to ban content or, you know, censor things. Yeah. And I think the the worrying thing is this is all just happening without people knowing or understanding what's really happening. So are you optimistic about this 
changing? I think, oh, oh, what what's the thing that one thing that really you think needs to change in when we're talking about tech guardians and brand safety and privacy? I mean, I think some sort of regulation. I think, I think the one thing I did find optimistic about the social dilemma, um, which you know, you had these creators, you had the people who are intimately involved with understanding these platforms and they were the ones who were sort of you know ringing the alarm which a i think is good that you know they're able to sort of see those things and say like hey we need to to make a step but i think it also showed in in that how so many of them are sort of um pivoting to sort of push back against the platforms and you know working on these sort of like um like committees or organizations that are about this sort of morality and tech and I think having like people need you need to have those people who are intimately understanding the technology and what's sort of under the hood be part of that conversation but I do think it needs to be a sort of separate body um I think self-regulation is hard um and I, I maybe not always sort of getting the results that that you want. So I think I'm optimistic that those people are saying like, I want to be involved in this and I want to push this. Um, And I think having people sort of understand what's going on and, you know, how we might be addicted to technology or how, you know, the politics of sort of these certain organizations are sort of unconsciously, you know, pushing us in sort of certain directions. I think it's really good to be aware of that. Um, to be able to, you know, understand and sort of change change things. Do you like that someone is giving you content that's so specifically to you? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm certain... I mean, there's always that sort of, like, ick factor sometimes when you're, like, talking about something and then you get served an ad on Instagram. But, like, I mean, some of it can be, like, not hurtful, but, again, that, like, I, I think it was, like, around the time when... I turned, maybe it was like 30. Um, I definitely got like ads on my phone. It was like, it was some like fertility thing. And I was like, stop it. Like, I do not, I do not need to get that. (laughs) Well, you raise a really, really good point where it's, it's, you know, machines don't have the context behind the humans. Machines don't have feelings. They don't understand the context. They don't, like the real world part of it I think that is that is really what I've taken away from that story because you know they just look at you with like a a data and your like numbers and they there's no there there's no human at the end of that so you mentioned that you know regulation is one thing that we should be looking at next um how far down the line is this before it's a, a real problem? Like, how far in the future do you think that this needs to happen for things to be changed? I mean, I think now, uh, you know, if progress isn't made soon, you know, we risk sort of further scaling potentially harmful outputs um, from, you know, the select number of gatekeepers. You know, I think, and especially when you look at younger generations who are literally growing up on these platforms um like we need to do something now to stop it um you know because it's not just you know the youngest who are sort of most vulnerable to it there's 
you know, so many different, you know, populations that can become vulnerable to it. So I think, you know, the, the time is now. There remains a need for transparency in the rationale and criteria we use to evaluate content permissibility. If progress is not made soon, we risk further scaling potentially harmful outputs from a select group of gatekeepers. That's it for this episode of Provocation with Purpose. It's the podcast where we talk about pushing the boundaries and imagining potential fates of media and what it means for us. Subscribe and stay tuned for more from Team Mindshare. And make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Mindshare underscore USA.